You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. So there was a time in my life when I wanted to be a professional baseball player. If you've known me my whole life, you would probably laugh a lot at that because I was never, you know, the best athlete growing up. Um, I don't know what got in my mind that made me think I wanted to be a professional ba- uh, baseball player. Probably the fact I collected baseball cards. My brother and I, would, we'd watch games on TV all the time. But do you remember the thing when you were a kid? Did you ever do this? You're in the backyard. Chris steps up to his plate. Base is loaded. Bottom of the ninth. This could be it, guys. And... It's the game-winning grain slam, yeah, and you run around the imaginary bases. Did you ever do that, or was that just me and my crazy brother? Like, we pretended. The reality was, I didn't have what it take, took to be a professional baseball player. You know, I had terrible vision. I had uh, self-confidence issues because for a large period of my life, honestly, I couldn't see very well. I had an eye patch for about three years. I wore bifocals. Honestly, the only second grader with bifocals. And, like, these doctors, they figured it out and everything. But here's the deal. I am currently not a professional baseball player. You might not have known that. I don't know. But not because I wasn't good enough. I I got better, right? Not because I had bad vision. We did work that out. Not because of anything. You know why I'm not a professional baseball player? Because I I gave up. I gave up. I was in about seventh grade, and it just wasn't really hitting on all cylinders for me, and I was done. I was done. It was never in the cards for me to be a professional baseball player at that point because I gave up. I quit trying. The point is, you can never achieve something that you give up on. Does that make sense? Is that, is that a fair point? If you stop trying, if you quit pushing forward, you'll never do it. And so I think in life we want to achieve a level of, I'm going to use this word, and, and maybe there's a different word in your vocabulary that you could replace it with, but I think we all want to re- achieve this level of greatness. Greatness. Like we want to just be good. We want to be good at life. We want to get, get our bills paid. We want to be good parents. We want to, get, we want to be great. Not that we all want to be Dr. Martin Luther King or, or someone awesome like Abraham Lincoln or the President of the United States of America at any point in history. Not that we want that. We just, we want to be good at what we do. We want to be great. And so this morning, I want to talk for a little bit about greatness. What is greatness anyway? I think we would define it a lot of different ways depending on where you come from and who you idolize and who your mentors were and all these things kind of put greatness into different perspective. But I think the general impression about greatness is this. Some people got it and some people don't. You follow me there? Like some people, they're just going to be great and you see them coming up in life and like, man, they're going to do things one day. But have you ever felt sorry for the kid that he looked at them and you're like, yeah, you're probably not going to make it. It's just not, you know, I think that in our head, we do that. We do that to people, which is why movies like Rudy blow our mind. Because we see the underdog. Have you ever seen that movie? This guy, is, he's just not, not the kind of guy you'd expect to make uh, the Notre Dame football team. But he tries, and he tries, and he tries, and he tries. And at the end, you find yourself rooting for him because you realize, at the beginning, I didn't believe in you. But you did. You believed in you, and so you tried. I think that the mindset is that some people got it and some people don't. I think another mindset that we adopt is this. Some people are just lucky. They're just lucky. Maybe they fell into the deep end of the gene pool, you know, and they've got the extra talent. they got the extra smart, the extra good looks. they got the extra. Maybe, maybe they fell into a good situation. Their parents are rich, or they were in a good school district growing up, or they lived in a place where they had better benefits. And all these things are true. 
And it's true that some people are lucky and some people do have you know, a leg up and they can get farther in life initially. But for every kid who was born with a trust fund and all the money in the world, there's a dozen people who were born with wealth who just didn't amount to much, aren't there? For every teenage boy who had the physique of a, a Greek god statue by the time he was 15 years old and all this, elect, uh, this athletic prowess and the ability to do anything, for every one of those naturally gifted athletes, there's a dozen or more athletes who either get a scholarship and go to college and blow it, partying or waste their time, or just don't apply themselves and, and it doesn't make it, right? For every kid who does have naturally brilliant parents and it maybe is, is born a little bit more inclined to learn faster than other people. There are a lot of people who just, they're lazy. And so it's not just luckiness. And it's not just that some people have it and some people don't. I think there's something else. I think there's something deeper. I think there's something way down deep inside that causes greatness. And you know what I think it is? I think when you look across the board at people who achieve success and greatness and by the world standards are great, the one factor that goes across the board is this perseverance. This morning, in fact, I want to share with you this thought. Simple thought is going to string throughout the entire talk this morning that perseverance leads to greatness. It does. Maybe, maybe you're aware uh, of this, maybe not. Did you know that U2, one of the most successful rock bands of all times, that when they were getting started, they couldn't afford to pay for their first world tour? Oh, poor guys, they couldn't pay for their first world tour. I couldn't pay for my first garage band, like new strings for my guitar, but still, they couldn't pay for their first world tour, so they had to borrow their manager's credit card, and they totally maxed it out, and then they couldn't make enough money to even make payments on the credit card. That's U2. It wasn't luck that made U2 great and sell over 150 million records and win 22 Grammys. It was something else. It was a drive to continue perseverance. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was the mastermind of Apple computers. Uh, many of you hold a product of his in your hand or in your pocket right now. The iPhone, the iPad, the iPod, digital music in general, the concept of iTunes. Steve Jobs. Wow. Amazing guy. Did you know all of the obstacles he had to jump over in life? He, first of all, he started off life uh, as an orphan, and he was adopted, not into a super rich family, but just kind of fell into just kind of a normal life. And all throughout life, he just dealt with all kinds of deal, personal and, and psychological issues because of his origins. And then one thing led to another. He finds himself addicted to all kinds of drugs. He does brilliantly create the concept of the Apple computer with, with other people, other engineers. But then because of his ego and his interpersonal problems and a lot of other things, he ends up getting kicked out of the very company that he starts. Did you know that? Steve Jobs got kicked out of Apple a long time ago. He was eventually welcomed back. It wasn't good luck that caused Steve Jobs to achieve success and be found great in the computer world. It was something else. It was something deep. The drive to continue. Perseverance. Wilmington, we have a very own hometown hero. You might have heard of him. His name is Michael Jordan. Yeah, Michael Jordan, and he, the, the famous, this is, this is the city where Michael Jordan fi- famously didn't make the varsity team. <laughs> it's like, hey, we're the ones who did that. But, you know, it, it was that. He tried out. He wanted to make varsity. He looked at the roster. He made JV. He went home and, and allegedly, I read a story about it this week, a, a biography, in tears. He was heartbroken. Why wasn't I good enough? He was told he wasn't tall enough. It wasn't luck 
It made Michael Jordan get up out of his bed and say, okay, I'll play JV this year. He was a star for the JV team, a shoe-in for varsity, and then you know the rest is history. He now lives as one of the most decorated, the most de decorated NBA star of all times, including all of his uh, championships and MVPs and all these things. It wasn't luck, it was something deeper. It was something that caused him to continue to drive. It was perseverance. Perseverance is the path to greatness. And so this week is the final week of this teaching series we've been doing called Renegade. Renegade, your life isn't meant to be safe. And each week we've looked at some principles that allow you to live your life in a, a better way to, not only just to kind of be a better person, this isn't uh, the old band down by the river speech, remember from Saturday Night Live where you're just like a motivational speaker and make you have a better life. Yes, some of these principles, all of them, in fact, would cause you to live a better life in general. But steps that we can take towards faith in God and help answer some of the questions and fill some of the voids deep inside of us. How do we live like a renegade? Each week we've looked at a different principle, and this week's principle is that perseverance is the path to greatness. It's true in business, it's true in sports, it's true in politics and education and relationships, and it's especially true with God, with living for Him and with our spiritual lives. Maybe you're in here today and you've been battling with the whole God question in your life. You're here with a friend or you've been coming for a few weeks on your own and you're just trying to find some kind of foundation and you think that God is it, but you're not quite sure. You know what? Honestly, this might be the most important principle for you. That perseverance is the path to greatness. Don't give up looking for answers. Don't give up seeking relationships. Don't stop looking for what it is you're looking for. Because I believe that God is there. I believe that his love is there. I believe that his truth is findable and discoverable and decipherable. And we can talk about it. But if you give up, you never find it. So no matter where you are in your Christian walk or lack of Christian walk, man, it's, it's perseverance that is a path to greatness. And so what, what I want to do this morning is show you what I mean by looking at two different lives. The first life I want to look at is in the Bible. So if you've got your Bible this morning, uh, you can turn to the very first book. It's called Genesis. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we give them away for free. And so there might be one right under your seat right there. There's not one under every seat. And you could even uh, go to the back and grab one. Uh, we're running a little low this week. We've ordered some more, so they'll be in next week. Um, and if you don't have one of those, you can also look on the screen. We'll have the main verses on the screen behind me here. But we'll be in the book of Genesis in chapter 39. So flip on a little bit into the book of Genesis. Let me tell you just briefly about this book. Uh, the, the book of Genesis is a collection of stories about the first people that God revealed himself to. And so as you're going through the book of Genesis, you'll find all kinds of stories about, uh, this is where we see the creation story. This is where we hear about the story I talked about last week, Noah and the ark and all this stuff. And we get to a guy in Genesis chapter 39, and his name is Joseph. Now, Joseph had a huge family. He was one of 12 brothers, and unfortunately for him, he was his, his dad's favorite brother, his favorite son. So all the brothers, they, dad loved Joseph the most, gave him special presents, and the other brothers would kind of grumble against him. They couldn't stand Joseph. They wanted him dead, and so one day they conspired against him. They literally dragged him out into the country, threw him into a deep hole in the ground, took his coat off and covered it with blood, took it back to their dad and said, Dad... We're so sad, but our brother Joseph has been attacked by a wild beast, and he's been killed, and here's the proof. They go back to that hole. They pull their brother out, and they sell him into slavery. Now, maybe you thought about selling your little brother into slavery, like when you were little. But like, you know what? Actually do that. But they did. How heartless was that? So we find Joseph, and he is a slave, and he's traveling into the country of Egypt, He's about to find himself a semi-permanent home in a, in, in a guy's house. His name is Potiphar. So we're going to pick up Genesis 39, just 1 through 6. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, who was an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, 
bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. Pay quick attention to that phrase. The Lord was with Joseph. He's a slave. He's thrown away. You would think his life is in shambles, but that's what it says. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted all uh, into his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all of that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potter had, Potiphar had, both in his house and in his field. So Potiphar left everything that he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. So Joseph starts out in a really bad place, literally in the bottom of a pit. His brothers drag him out, sell him into slavery, lie to their dad and say he's dead. He's a slave. I want to draw your attention, though, to that phrase that I mentioned a minute ago. But it says, the Lord was with Joseph. In fact, Joseph's story is a series of ups and downs. If you read it, I totally encourage you to do that. If you read his story, it's like as soon as he seems to get on top of things, the bottom falls out again. Your life ever feel like that? Yeah, you get, you get things under control and then another thing pops up and that happens. And something with the family over there, something at work, something with the kid at school, the neighbor. What? Ah, can't I get out of this, this cycle? And so this is what's going on with Joseph's life, except I would wager that a lot of the things that he goes through are way worse than a lot of the things that we've had to go through. Yet this phrase, but the Lord was with Joseph, pops up. I want to take a look at that phrase. The Hebrew word for with here, uh, that, that book Genesis was originally written in ancient Hebrew. And so when it's translated over, the Hebrew word with can be literally translated, check this out, against. So let's look at that sentence. The Lord was with Joseph, but it could also be translated, the Lord was against Joseph. Now that's confusing. <laughs> Thanks, God, for the Bible. It's helping me out a lot here. I like you ever feel that way about, about church and God? I, I know I do. I've grown up in church my whole life. I've, I'm constantly sitting with people who are trying to learn more about God or discover God or maybe kind of hate God. And it's things like this that get us confused. But don't worry, we're going to dive in a little bit and understand a little bit better. See, I think sometimes we feel that way. We feel like it feels more like God is against us than he's with us. Bad things happen. And then we find ourselves asking, how could God allow that? You been there? Yeah, it's confusing. But the reality is this word is, is telling with with, because it says against, but it's not against like God is anti you. The word against is actually more like the word, I lean my ladder against the wall. It's propping it up. The Lord was against Joseph. The Lord was there to help him stand. The Lord was leaning back to back like Forrest Gump in the rain. You lean on me, and that way we won't get rained on, right? The Lord was with Joseph, holding him up. Now, when, when you shift that in your mind, I want to take us to those places where it's been dark, where it's been hard, where we look at God and go, come on, for real? I can tell you in my own life, I, it's hard for me to speak into your life because you're still in the midst of that sometimes. But in the times when I've finally gotten through the mess and I look back, I go, wow, things could have really been worse. 
something kept things from getting worse. And I know that you've been in the positions where you're like, no, things can't get worse. But have you ever had that annoying friend who's like, let's look on the bright side. Let's count our blessings. You know what? They're right. Is it possible that when we're in the worst times in our lives, when we're in the bottom of the pit, when we're slaves to someone else's house, that the reality is that God has not left us? Is it possible that he might be the only thing keeping it from getting worse? Just throwing that out there. Let's check out Joseph's story. So the Lord was against Joseph, and and, and it gets worse for Joseph because it looks like things are going well. Maybe you heard his story, and it's like, oh, Potiphar has put him in charge of all the slaves. Can you imagine that phone call? Hey, Joseph, yeah, you're doing really good. I'm going to make you head slave. Yay, I'm head slave. I mean, what you want to get is a phone call. Hey, I'm setting you free. He's head slave, and he's being prosperous, and things are going great. For Potiphar, not for Joseph, but the Lord was with him. You know, uh, there's, a, there's a pastor that's in Colorado. His name's Jim Berg, and I love listening to him, and he has some funny things that he says. But one thing he talks about is that, man, if I wrote the Bible, I would have wrote it way different. <laughs> and he says, you know, th- this is not the story we want to read. Here's the story we want to read. It goes like this. The Lord was with Joseph. So there was an earthquake, and it opened the doors, and a white horse came running in. And Joseph jumped on and pulled a sword out of a stone and painted it half of his face blue and yelled, Freedom! And then his brothers all died of a plague. And then Joseph met a great woman, and they retired in Florida. Why? Because the Lord was with him. And the moral of the story is, when the Lord is with you, you live happily ever after. That would be a great story. I like reading that. I've watched that movie. But God tells different stories often. He allows different stories to be written. I don't know why, but that's what seems to happen. The story that we wish would happen would be, the doctor said there was a tumor, and we prayed, and the tumor went away. Yay, God! That's the story we want to hear. Oh, we want to hear the story. My husband has been getting flirted with by this young floozy at work, and she walked outside, and she got hit by a bus. (laughs) I guess the story you want to hear, right? But often God tells a much more real story. You know, stuff just doesn't always go perfectly. Maybe some bad things have happened in, in life, and, and maybe we wish it would clear up by lunchtime. But it doesn't. Let's check out the rest of this story. In 39.6b, it says, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Picture uh, Justin Timberlake, maybe? I don't know. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. Hmm. And she said, come to bed with me. So Potiphar's wife, who I bet was, a, was pretty hot. I'm guessing, like, Potiphar, pretty powerful guy, had a lot of money. In Egypt, I mean, the culture was all based on physical beauty. Not all, but that was, it was very highly esteemed. And so, surely, he could have had uh, his pick of wives, and he probably got a hot wife. And she starts to take a liking to Joseph. And she's thinking, this could work out nicely. So she says, come to bed with me. And maybe, maybe you're thinking, well, at least something's going good for Joseph, right? I mean, maybe that's part of like what the, the, the worldly side of us wants to be. I mean, you know, it's not all bad. He could, he could just kind of like take advantage of his, of his boss's wife and that would make things kind of, not Joseph. It's not what he does at all. Genesis 39, 8 through 10 says this, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her. My master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? 
And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So here's lonely Joseph. He's away from his family. He's a slave. He's been sold into slavery. He's getting some other guy rich. He's got this woman giving him this offer, but he says no. Why? Because despite everything that had happened, despite all that had gone on, despite that his life had been turned upside down, he kept looking up. He kept his eyes fixed on God, and he didn't want to sin against God. So he says, no. No, I'm not going to do this. And Mrs. Potiphar doesn't take kindly to that. I'm going to keep on reading. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties. This is verse 11. And none of the household servants was inside. So she caught him by his cloak, and she says, come to bed with me. Like, easy, lady. Come on. But he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand, and then run out of the house, she called her household servants. And she said, look, this Hebrew has been brought to here to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me screaming, he left. And he left his cloak beside me, and he ran out of the house. And she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Potiphar comes home. She tells him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife had told told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Again, this is not how you want the story to go. Can you imagine Joseph? Come on, God, I said no. I said, I said no, I was already, I was a prisoner, then I was a slave, now I'm a prisoner again. But not Joseph. He, he didn't throw a fit. Look at verse uh, 39, like the second part of, part of verse 20 in chapter 39. It says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. There goes that phrase again. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Yay! The prison warden's my friend. No matter what happened, no matter how much his life turned upside down, Joseph kept looking up. He persevered, and guess what? This is the phrase. Perseverance is the path to greatness. If you keep reading this story, Joseph's hardship doesn't end right away. He's in prison for quite some time. But event after event after event transpires, and he ends up, this is crazy, he ends up being appointed as the second most powerful man in the nation, second only to Pharaoh through a series of honest things that he does. Yeah, and in that position, there becomes a famine in the land, and he comes up with the strategy to save the food so that people don't starve during the famine. And in the process, his brothers, who, who killed him, essentially, thought that he had killed him and thought that he was gone with, his brothers have to come to his throne and beg him for food. They don't know that it's him, of course. He's got an Egyptian makeup, I imagine. I don't know. And eventually they realize that it's him, and he's like, the Lord was with me. Not all of us are going to end up as the second most powerful man in the world, <laughs> just so you know. Don't want you to be disappointed. The fact is that the Lord is with us. He's there for us to lean against, and he leans against us when we're about to fall down. But the question is, when our world is turned upside down, where do we look? It only works if we look up. Not only do we look up, but we look one other, we do one other thing. When we're getting pushed backward, we must continue to move forward. That's kind of a second point this morning. 
I told you we're going to talk about two people. We talked about Joseph. The second guy I want to talk about, his name is Adoniram Judson. Each week in this Renegade series, we're taking a person out of kind of contemporary history within the last couple hundred years at least. Last week we talked about uh, Rosa Parks, and we've talked about a guy named William Carey. We talked about Esther Ann Kim. We talked about these great people and different principles that they applied uh, to be renegades. Renegade is someone who's going to stand up for what they believe is right, even when everyone else might say that it's wrong or it's unpopular or it's scary. And so we're going to look at this guy today briefly. His name is Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson was born in the late 1700s, and in the early 1800s, Adoniram decided, uh, he was an American, he decided he wanted to be a missionary to India. Uh, we, we talked about William, William Carey a few weeks ago. It was that family Sunday that we had, if you were here. It was actually, it was William Carey who really opened the door for more and more missionaries to come into India, so that's some more of his legacy living on. Adoniram decided when he was 22 years old that he wanted to be a missionary to India. He was in love with a girl, a 21-year-old, her name was Mary Ann. And so he wrote her this letter to ask, I love this letter he writes, he, he, he writes a letter to her dad to ask for her hand in marriage. You guys who are married, did you ask the, the dad? Did you, I did. Uh, it's a funny story. There was actually a gun on the table when I did, it was a funny story, you have to be there. But um, I, I don't know if, if all of you asked, but this is how Adoniram asked his future father-in-law to marry his daughter. He says, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and desire, to degradation and insult and persecution and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him, he's talking about Jesus now, to him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you for the sake of the perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion, that's another kind of phrase for the kingdom of God or heaven, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness? This guy's so romantic. He just really, he knows his way to a girl's heart. So he writes that letter to her father. I love her father's response. Her father said, she can make up her own mind. <laughs> so he tells her, he gives her the letter, and Anne is really thinking about this. Do I want to be the wife of a missionary who's going to India? She writes this letter to her friend Lydia. She says, I feel willing and expect, if nothing in providence prevents, to spend the rest of my days in this world in the heathen lands. Yes, Lydia, I have come Come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go where God in his providence shall see fit to place me. Wow. I think she said yes. So this is how they start their journey together. I encourage you to check out Adoniram Judson's uh, biography. It's pretty impressive. He actually was a period of his life where he was a complete atheist. Didn't think God was even something worth pursuing. Didn't think God was, 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 was logical. But through studying and looking at nature and looking through all kinds of things and philosophy and logic and studying the Bible later and studying biblical languages, he finally comes to a point where he says, not only do I believe that God is real, I believe that he is so real that I have to go and tell people about him, even if it's dangerous. This guy was a renegade. He realized that faith wasn't meant to be safe. So he's ready to go. Him and his beautiful young wife, Marianne, they get ready to go. But there was a problem because... They were Americans, and when they get into the port of Calcutta where they wanted to go, uh, the, the, the harbor master there said, you can't come in here. You're not allowed for whatever reason because they were Americans and because whatever was going on at the time. You can't come in here. This is what Adoniram Judson does. He goes, fine, we, were gonna, we will go to every port this boat stops at, and the first port that lets us off 
That's where we'll be missionaries. So they begin to do that. So, but they're out in the harbor, or they're out in the, the, the sea, and they begin to go on their voyage, and this monsoon hits. For three weeks, they're stuck at sea. His wife, by the way, is very pregnant and has the baby in the storm on the boat. And the baby doesn't survive. Hard times. They continue to sail around. Eventually, they land in this, uh, this little port, um, the little village called Ran Rangoon. Let them in. It was in the country of Burma. Burma had not one single Christian missionary. And they were very hostile to Christians. And it was an extremely dangerous place to live. Yay, God. Ragoon's going to let us in. So he gets there and he starts preaching. They start living as missionaries. And Judson, much like William Carey that we talked about several weeks ago, he begins to preach and preach and teach and teach and talk and talk and try to make relationships and make relationships. For six and a half years, he does that. And not one single Burmese person decides they want to become a Christian. Six and a half years. It gets frustrating, but the people overseas in America who are supporting him financially, they're writing him letters, they say, Adoniram, you got to stop, man. You're wasting your energy, you're wasting your time. Most of all, you're wasting our money. We can't send you any more money. So after six and a half years, they drop him cold. And he's stuck in Burma. So he writes letters back. He says, fine, don't send me money. I'll be fine. Send more people who want to be a part of this mission with me. Nobody came. But he kept preaching. Eventually, the, uh, the government there in Ragoon became anti-Adonarum. They didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like the, the way he was suggesting that they should change their religion. So they put him in jail. He spent a lot of time in jail, 110 degree temperatures, uh, malaria-infested mosquitoes biting him, eating him day in and day out. He would be in there for years at a time. There was one point where they had him chained by his feet from the ceiling with his back up against the wall and his head and his shoulders barely off the floor for two years. And from that position, I mean, he had to eat and sleep and use the bathroom. Oh, incidentally, while he was hanging in that position, he also began to translate the Bible into Burmese and hide it under his pillow at night so the guards wouldn't take it away. His wife came to visit him every single day. It was a two-mile walk one way. And she would plead with the guards and plead with the authorities and say, please let my husband out. She was pregnant again when he had first gone in. And she had the baby while he was in jail. Adoniram was beginning to suffer physically to where he was completely weak. His wife was the same, and she finally was able to have the baby while he was in jail. She just didn't have the strength. Her milk had dried up. The baby was getting sick, and finally they let him out. He gets out just in time to be there when his wife dies. And then the baby dies. All in all, Adoniram was married twice, three times, two more times, three times totally, and outlived all three of his wives, and out of the 13 children they had, seven perished. I mean, come on. When does this guy know when to say enough is enough? Right? When do you give up? When do you go home? When do you throw in your hat and say, I'm done, God? I tried, okay? I tried. But guess what? Through it all, Adam Niram Judson did not give up. He didn't. He didn't stop. He just kept moving forward. When the world pushed him back, he moved forward. When his life was upside down or his body was physically upside down, he kept looking up. And check this out. Perseverance was the path to greatness. Adoniram Judson personally ended up establishing, after 35 years in Burma, 
he personally ended up establishing 63 churches. And in that time, he led over 6,000 people to become Christians. Today, there are over 37,000 churches that trace their beginnings back to Adoniram Judson's patience and perseverance. If you go to Burma, up in the highlands, there's a tribe. And in that tribe, there are over 180,000 people who call themselves Christians. And they have 100 Christian schools, elementary schools and high schools. And those schools send out missionaries all over Southeast Asia. How did it happen? Well, you go and you ask those people there today, you know what a lot of them say? It happened because of Adoniram Judson. Perseverance is the path to greatness. And obviously it wasn't easy for him. I didn't tell you that story so you could be like, oh, poor Adoniram. But so maybe we could take a step back and go, how easy do I give up? How quickly do I throw in the towel and say, I'm finished? We need to keep moving forward when the world is pushing us back. We need to keep looking up when our world is upside down. Because perseverance is the path to greatness. So my question for you is this, what, what about you? What about you? I recognize that in this room we have a broad spectrum of people when it comes to your faith. Like you, we've got people in this room who've grown up in the church their whole life, we've got people in this church right now who this is your first, second, third week ever going to church and you're just, you're just checking, it, checking it out. Here's what I want all of you to know, it is totally worth living and dying for. But it's not something we can take lightly. Being a renegade is being willing to say, I'm going to stand up and do this no matter what the cost. And I'm not going to throw in the towel early just because it gets hard. But maybe what you need to hear today, if you're someone who is like, I just, I'm, not, I'm not really embracing the God thing yet. I've still got a lot of questions. The principle is still true for you. Perseverance is the path to greatness. Don't give up. Don't give up the good fight. Continue to seek counseling, continue to seek friendships, continue to seek truth, continue to seek love. Go for those things first. The one thing I want to invite you to do, there's a lot of things we could do today. We're going to talk about how you can sign up for small groups today, or you could go to Venture Basics, which is a great class, uh, which I will plug this real quick. In two weeks, on the 28th, we start Venture Basics, which is a six-week class that talks about questions like, who is God? Who is Jesus? What is the Bible? Is it reliable? And how can we know? And does that matter? It's six weeks of that. I love it. It doesn't matter where you are in your understanding or faith in God. Um, it's, it's a great class. It'll start in two weeks. Uh, you can make a note on your connection card on the back. It's, I've, I've been told there's some orange ones also, the greenish or orangish cards that were in your seats. Just check on the back. Venture Basics, send me an email. We'll send you the email with the information. But maybe you're in a position where you only need this one invitation. This is the invitation for you. Come back next week. Come back here next week. Work on building some good, healthy friendships with some people in this room. Perseverance is the path to greatness, and you can do this. You can make it, make it. But, but what if, what if, like Joseph, what if it's true that God is with you? That like a ladder leaning up against the wall, he is there holding you. He's holding you in his hands. He's holding you with his back. He's holding you with his strength. He's holding you with his love. And right now, all he's wanting for you is to keep on going. Don't give up. In fact, next week we're going to celebrate some awesome stories that have happened right here in this room. Next week is our one-year birthday celebration. Woo! Yay, God, for real. One year, we as a church family have been gathering together, and, and, and we've gone from a group of, of, you know, in the beginning, 10 or so people to, I mean, we, we've been, I don't know, 130, 140 people the last several weeks. You know what's happening? People are realizing God is with me. 
and their lives are changing. I loved yesterday being with a couple and, and seeing them accept Jesus and be baptized yesterday afternoon. It was so awesome standing within a small group of people that we were there and we, we witnessed it. And to see them going, you know what, I see something different in this God stuff. I want, it, I want this for my life. I want to do that. God is with you. And we're going to tell a lot of those stories next week as we celebrate our one-year birthday. But the point is this. There is hope. There is light. And there is great satisfaction and fulfillment in living as a renegade. As the church community, can we do that? Can we bind together? Can we say, we're going to do this. We're going to stand up for what's right, even when it's unpopular, even when it's scary, even when sometimes it might be dangerous. What does that mean for you? It might mean just going home right now and talking to the person you live with. Your, your boyfriend or girlfriend, if that's who you live with, your spouse, your roommate, your kids, and just say, hey, you know what? We gotta, we gotta live different. We, we gotta live different. <laughs> what does that look like? What does it look like to take a stand for what's good and what's right and what's true? We gotta live different. Start at home. And then bridge out from there like rings around your life. It starts at your, at your kitchen table, then it goes maybe to your neighborhood or maybe to your job. Maybe that's where you have the next sphere of influence. Talk to your coworkers. Talk to your boss. If you have someone that you sit with every day and you share a sandwich with every day and you've never just said to them, you know what, like, um, you ever have questions about God or anything? I do. It's pretty important, I think. Could we talk about it? Like, don't come in as some sage genius who knows all the answers. Just start a conversation about spiritual stuff. Maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's the person you live with, maybe it's a family member that you don't see, but you just want to call them. And maybe you still have a ton of questions about God. Perseverance is the path to greatness. And when your world is upside down, keep looking up. And when everything is pushing you back, keep walking forward. That's called faith. Can I pray for you guys this morning? Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you for your goodness and your willingness to use us in the face of our own failure and sometimes stupidity, uh, to use us with our talents and our skills and, our, and, our, and some of the good things we can do. I thank you for this community. I thank you for this series, Renegade, where we've taken a look at some people's lives who, man, they've really made the world an awesome place just because they, they didn't give up. I thank you for Adoniram Judson, the hundreds of thousands of lives that he's impacted. We're still telling his story today. Thank you for Joseph, his faith in the bottom of a pit that kept looking up. And I pray that each one of us, as we are in the bottom of a pit today, uh, wherever that might be for us, that we can keep looking up and we can know that you are with us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.